Mike Tomlin talked a lot about tenor today. That seemed tenor. to be last week's word of the day was behoove. Today's <laughs> word of the day, I think, was tenor, which I already wrote about. You could check it out at DKPittsburghSports.com. A good Tuesday afternoon, everybody. A Tomlin Tuesday mm. for those uh, members of Steeler Nation. My name is Corey Chris, and of course, joined by Chris Halleck. This is the Southside Beat. How, how am I coming up with a, with this nickname of being a fortune teller? You said even yesterday, though, even though I could have said, even though I could have said that uh, the Rangers were going to beat the Astros in seven games. So, cashed we'll in a that. couple over bets in the process, did I? So uh, happy <laughs> about that. And uh, NLC, a lot of good sports happening right now, Chris. NLCS yeah. game seven tonight. Of course, NFL's in full swing. My Cleveland Cavaliers tip off the season this week. Let's go, Cavs! If we can root for a Cleveland team in this city, that's the one. Uh, I love the NBA. I can't wait for that. Of course, college hoops right around the corner mm-hmm. and uh, college football in full swing. So October, October is always the best. October and March really are, are, are two of the two of the best times of the year for sure. But I think October is definitely definitely there just because of all the different things that you have going on. Like for real, you have baseball playoffs, NFL seasons in full swing, like all the other things you just mentioned, man, hockey's going on. Uh, mm-hmm. Penn Stars tonight. Uh, that's going to be fun. I've got Stars fans that I'm friends with that I play hockey with that are already talking mess with me because you know I'm the Pittsburgh yeah. guy, and so they're messing with me. So all 32 yeah. teams are yep. playing today, and I will yeah. be at the Penguins game as a fan. Uh, I'm not working. I believe Taylor and DK will be on that for you, but I will be casual observer today. Uh, it might be the day before a certain someone's birthday too, so I'm going to treat myself a little bit. Um, but we'll get into that, uh, obviously, uh, on the Penguins channel, if we will. But let's talk about the football. Yes, it does, oh, Barber. Yeah. I see your purple and gold with the Lakers. My Cavaliers, I'm excited. I'm excited. Let's talk about the football team here in Pittsburgh, Chris. And, of course, as is the custom on a Tuesday. Tenor. It, tenor was the word of the day, as we mentioned at the top. <laughs> Mike Tomlin, um, of course, addressed the media in his weekly press conference today. A much different uh, tone press conference than in previous weeks, I would say. And, of course, the tone changes after a win, as it always does. always. And Mike Tomlin, to me, there were a lot of interesting things said. And I think today was a really big day in terms of peeling back the curtain Mm -hmm. uh, for Mike Tomlin. And I wrote about it. You can read about it already on DKPittsburghSports.com. It's at the top of the site as we speak. He talked about the, the game within the game, so to speak. And having to adjust to officiating. And of course he didn't call out officials. And of course his players made some really stupid penalties that would get called anywhere. Very true. Very true. But I I think it was really interesting today what he had to say about learning. The word was tenor that he used, which means basically just tone. How are the referees going to call this game? Yeah. And I equated it, you know, I immediately thought, well, in basketball, a referee might call touch your fouls or let them play. In baseball, an umpire might have a a narrow strike zone, a wide strike zone. He might eject the guy for saying something out of the dugout on the spot. You just don't know. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, the Steelers had a season-high eight penalties on Sunday that ultimately did not cost them in terms of a win or a loss. But I thought it was interesting that Mike Tomlin acknowledged that, that there was an adjustment to be made in the, so to speak, the game within the game. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing he was really critical about from Sunday. Well, and that honestly just goes, and some people may not like to hear this, but I'm going to say it anyway. That just goes to show you that Mike Tomlin is a good coach. 
He just is. That, that those are those are things that <clears throat> that coaches have to try to um, try to instill in his players. And, and you got to remember, you know, you may look at what, what George Pickens did and what Deontay did, and like some of the other players. These are all still young players. Like they, they, they're not seasoned vets. Uh, the, the number of what you would call seasoned veterans, it, it's very small on, on this team. This is still a young football team, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, now, these players need to be smarter. And yeah, you can talk about how Mike Tomlin might need to be, have them a little bit more prepared for those things. But they, those are things that they have. And, and George Pickens kind of even talked about it as like they've, I've never really had a team come at me like that before in terms of how they were talking to him in the middle of a game. And so there are a number of games within the game how the opponent is trying to get inside your head, how is the referee. How are how is how are the how is the officiating crew calling certain things? How are they handling certain things? How are they talking? There's a number of different things. Those are things that players just are just going to have to learn with over time. But it, it's Mike Tomlin's job to make sure that those guys are focused in on those things. On top of all of the oh yeah, by the way, we have an actual game plan we have to execute as well. Another big thing I think this is thematic. Mike Tomlin tends to speak in thematic on his press conference, right? If he gets hot on one thing, he's going to transition it into another thing. And of course, a lot of talk today also came down about Kenny Pickett and he's magic in the fourth quarter, all the fourth quarter comebacks he's had so far in his career. He's up to, he's up to five now. Mm. And basically the TLDR of why can Kenny Pickett do this in the fourth, but not the first quarter, which was a question I think you and I in the rest of the, the asylum here on the, on the live stream, had to ask out loud as well. Why can't Kenny do this in the, in the first quarter or the second quarter, but he's able to really just kick it into gear in the fourth. And I liked Mike Tomlin's discourse and his transparency about how early game things are meant to feel out the opponent. There is a process when all of that, and it's a balancing act, so to speak, of game plan, what the Steelers want to do and what they want to try to execute on offense early to set the tone. And then there's finding out information about the opponent. And Mike Tomlin really went into that today about how the Steelers used the, the word was script. And when you think of script, you think, oh, they're going to just run this play. Then they're going to run this play. Then they're going to run this play. Sometimes it's true. And the Steelers will take an opening drive, maybe two, to run the plays they literally want to play in order to establish something on offense. Yep. But the flip side of it, which Mike Tomlin went into a lot of detail about today, was about how the Steelers are going to show certain things and they're going to see how the Rams react to it. And he admitted today that the Rams showed things on the field on Sunday they hadn't seen on tape. So I think that was a really interesting peeling back the curtain, so to speak, that Mike Tomlin gave in, in a lot of different ways, um, just about gamesmanship and about obviously the game within the game, so to speak, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, comment here from Pete says Deontay realized <clears throat> what he done immediately. So I'm not worried about him going forward, um, which will filter through uh, GP uh, George Pickens. Um, I do believe that. I, honestly, I don't think Deontay does that. If it's somebody, if it's anybody else, not named a killer Witherspoon. That's correct. And Deontay mentioned that himself. Yeah. So I, I really don't now granted he still shouldn't do it, but you know, him and a used to be teammates. Uh, they used to go up each other, uh, up against each other all the time in practice. There's, 
there's history there just between those two, not, not bad blood or anything like that, but just, you know, from being on the same football team, you practice, you play against each other more often than you play against anyone else because of, you know, of all the practice there is, but um, yes, Robert, the Steelers yeah. therapy <laughs> session does start at three every day. That is partially what we're here for. I suppose lotion brings us up. Why did Deontay's, Taunting penalty offset with Witherspoon's PI. Fantastic question. And Mike Tomlin did address that today because it was not ruled as a dead ball foul. Mm-hmm. It, and, and Mike Tomlin asked the white hat or the lead official uh, for an explanation on that. Didn't really get one, but mm-hmm. he got one from, I think he said a side judge or one of the, you know, ancillary referees. And basically that official told Mike Tomlin that it was a continuation of the play. So that's why the penalty's offset, and it wasn't a, um, it wasn't a, it wasn't a dead ball foul, and it wasn't going to tack on after the fact. Yeah, I think if it's a situ- if it's a situation where Deontay's like almost all the way back at his huddle, and then he starts taunting him, and then he's flagged for it. I think that's considered okay. That the, it's a dead ball foul. The the play's been over for several seconds. The fact that Deontay immediately got up and did it to Akello. Um, I didn't have any issue with it live. I just, I, I didn't of all, of all the different uh, issues that I had with the officiating on, on Sunday, which to be, I mean, to be honest, like I've seen football games way worse when it comes to the officiating. So I, I really didn't have that big of an issue. I didn't even honestly didn't even think, think twice about it. Uh, right. The two really, really kind of most egregious things that stood out to me were obviously the really horrible spot on Kenny's sneak. And then, um, it did not look like TJ's helmet was in the neutral zone, but I, I digress. That's that another one. thing Tomlin brought up today too, on yeah. a, I guess, less fragrant, uh, fragrant, flagrant scale Yeah, was, yeah, TJ was lined up perhaps a, a judgment call, right? Yeah. Perhaps, but he did mention that officials will say, hey, TJ's a little too close or yeah. he's, he's starting to get a little too close. Those kind of things are discussed. Yeah, between referees and head mm-hmm. coaches and even players. I mean, players will get these little mm-hmm. tidbits from officials as well. Like, hey, if you do that again, I'm going to call it. I mean, yep. this happens in every sport. Every sport. Pre- predominantly, I think, hockey and basketball. In basketball. Baseball, you know, too. I mean, well, like, baseball it, it, as well. yeah. it happens everywhere. Yeah. But I mean, because, I, I, yeah. I think of basketball being on the floor in basketball. Hey, if you if you throw anything like that again or if you make that motion again, I'm calling it. Yeah. And and that that's kind of I think what happened here with TJ. Now the the Pickens crack back on the Johnson reception, you can't do. It, no, it's that's, inexcusable. That's it gets very, that's a very, very explicit no no. I mean it, I mean, if he just kind of runs over and kind of nonchalantly stands in his way and doesn't attempt to make any contact whatsoever, that's the way you do it nowadays. That's the way you have to do it. Just kind of get in his way a little bit to slow him down, and that's all you have to do. If you throw or lean the shoulder at all, it's going to be a penalty 100% of the time because your momentum with your shoulder is going back towards your sideline, which is the exact language of the rule. You just can't do it. Correct. It's, it's that it doesn't mean it's a dirty play. It just it, but it is explicitly one hundred percent against the against the rules. And then here's the thing: the referees don't know, or probably don't care to know, to be honest, is that Johnson and Witherspoon were teammates here yeah. in Pittsburgh. Yeah. So they're just seeing wide receiver taunting cornerback. Yeah. They don't consider they were teammates for X amount of years and have practiced against each other for X amount of years and X amount of times. They just don't consider all of that no. stuff. So nor in should moment, they honestly. 
Correct. And that's yeah. not their job. Nope. That's not their job. Their job is to enforce the rules. So they're not thinking, well, yeah, we know 44 and 18 former teammates. They might have a little thing. Mm-mm. And Johnson, you know, to, to kind of put him down on this one, you have to think of the moment. You yeah. have to think of where you are in the game. That that yeah. led to that spot on Kenny, which 50-50 call, it goes the Steelers' way. But if Kenny doesn't get that spot, they turn the ball over, and then for whatever reason the Rams lose, the Rams win the game and the Steelers lose, you're going to look at that Johnson penalty and say, well, that was the most bonehead thing I've seen since the Claypool era. I mean, I don't know. You could, you could point to any – I guess recent yeah. Steelers receiver that's no longer here. So uh, that's um, bad. Says uh, shushing is taunting, flexing is not. Uh, taunting is whatever the referee deems is taunting. I mean, if we're if we're being if we're being one hundred percent honest, I mean, if the referee feels like one player is taunting another one, they'll throw the flag. Yeah, doesn't matter what the uh, yeah what the yeah. Robert says Mike Tomlin says no update on Cam. Yes, he did say that. Uh, to jump into injuries real quick. No update on Cam Hayward and a potential of where um, he could return. Now, the initial reports after week one were to think he would be out a couple of months, potentially a week 10 return, so we'd still be a few weeks out from that. But Mike Tomlin had no update on Cam Hayward. He mentioned Cole Holcomb as being evaluated. I believe it was an ankle issue. Um, And and to put it into paraphrasing, day-to-day on that. And then... Anthony McFarland is still being looked at for his knee. Now on Saturday, this or no, last Monday, excuse me, the Steelers uh, opened the window for Deontay Johnson and Anthony McFarland at the time. So they still have a couple of weeks to designate Anthony McFarland to return off of IR. They had not done that prior to the Saturday deadline, uh, you know, to activate and put him on the 53 and so forth, which is, mm-hmm. you know, partially why you saw Godwin uh, Eagle Bouquet take kick returns, but I think he might stick around for that anyway. So those are the injuries, nothing too major right now, other than of course, Pat Fryer with landing on IR. And yeah. I think, I think now would be a good time to talk about that, Chris, because um, the tight ends weren't used a lot on, on Sunday. And we talked about that a little bit yesterday about how, well, they didn't really impact the game, so to speak, but they didn't blow the game for the Steelers either. And not having Pat Fryermuth on the field just simply changes the offense. It's losing a complete tight end. It's losing probably your third best pass catching weapon behind Johnson and Pickens. And this is going to be something the Steelers have to deal with for at least three more games up to this point. Yeah. Um, man. Uh, hold, hold on. I, I, my, my, I was just reading one comment and, and, and then, uh, by the way, Crystal, real quick, uh, let's talk about the Jags. We will definitely be getting into the Jaguars plenty uh, yes. th- this week. So um, I have had time to review, and, and Steelers Freak says I have had time to review, or have I had time to review the tape? Um, I've had time to review. Um, necess- so pretty much I, I watch the tape primarily for what produces content. Uh, so my Chalk Talk piece, which is on DKPittsburghSports.com, uh, right now, um, that focuses on the red zone, um, and 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 the three for the perfect three for three that they had. Um, some of the things that stood out to me um, from watching that. Uh, actually, a lot of the tape that I've been watching today has been more on uh, the Jaguar side, uh, trying to get ready because I have a, a, a team preview of them coming out here soon. So, um, yeah, that'll be that'll be the next piece that I'm kind of looking at. That's more. That's not as deep into the film that, as. Uh, as it is a kind of a look at the film plus the data. 
uh, just so you guys can get a deeper look at the Jaguars heading into Sunday. So we'll definitely have plenty of time to talk about the Jaguars this week for sure. Uh, totally derailed. What were you? What was the last thing that you were mentioning, Corey? Tight ends. Tight uh, end. Not oh, yeah. having not having Pat yeah. Fryermuth for at least three more weeks. Yeah. So tight ends, like, uh, yeah, they, they didn't have you know they didn't have like this standout game, but you know when it came to when it came down to it, they did their job for the most part. They did what they were asked to do, and what they were asked to do primarily was block really well in the running game you know, run efficient routes. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be, um, they have to be, you know, the, the first or the second read, as long as they're running their routes and doing what they need, doing what's asked of them. And for the most part they did. And Connor Hayward, you know, props to him executed that one play action pass, you know, really well came over, faked the block, moved back over, you know, had plenty of room because the play action sold so well. And, you know, had a really nice catch and run that nearly, nearly found pay dirt. So, um, I mean, if the tight ends execute what's asked of them and pretty much if the players execute what's asked of them, we're going to see better results more often. It doesn't mean that this offense is going to turn into a juggernaut. I don't think right. the offense is built to be a juggernaut or designed to be a juggernaut, but if the players execute their, what's asked of them more often than not, it should be a productive offense and I'm using the the term productive kind of my own way, you know, productive for what it's designed to be. Um, and so if the, I had no issues with what the, what the tight ends did on Sunday, honestly, because you're not going to ask any of them to be Pat Fryermuth. You shouldn't. And you play to each one of their strengths, what the, what each one of them does well. So I have no, no issues with what the tight ends did. And that's what they should be doing while Pat's out. They shouldn't be trying to do things that they can't do. The, uh, the pro football focus grades and charts and all that stuff came out, Subjective. of course, yesterday. And just from looking at snap counts, uh, 58 offensive snaps for the Steelers, 50 for Connor Hayward, 30 for Darnell Washington, and 11 for Hot Rod, uh, Rodney Williams. So, mm -hmm. yes, Connor Hayward did take on the Pat Frymuth role. He was the unquestioned tight end one in that offense. And I think Matt Canada did a good job of scheming around not having Pat Fryermuth. I remember yesterday somebody asked about not having Calvin Austin on the field, and I think that's part of a product of not having Pat Fryermuth on the field. You can mix and match when you have Pat Fryermuth on the field. You're, you could do a little bit more when you have Pat Fryermuth on the field. When you have Connor Hayward on the field, he's more of a fullback. He's more of a blocker. He's more mm -hmm. of a, a a short, you know, throw throw passes behind the line of scrimmage kind of guy. The the big one of the big plays of the game on Sunday was that play to, to Hayward off play action that set up a touchdown. So yeah. they used the tight ends in a fair manner, given the circumstance. And yeah, the Steelers are, might be trying out another tight end today, as Robert points out, but I don't know what good it's going to do. It's probably just for practice squad, if anything, because now they know that Frymuth isn't going to be there for three weeks yeah. at least. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's, that's kind of just business as usual. You know, one guy goes on IR, you've got to find a, you know, everybody else who was, you know, behind him on the depth chart has to move up. So now Rodney Williams, instead of being a practice squad guy, is going to turn into the number three tight end. And so, you know, helps to bring in another guy, you know, to, to fill in on the practice squad. So um, when it comes to the receivers, though, I, I think like Allen Robinson get, get gets is getting those stamps right now because he's the primary slot guy. Now, I think Calvin Austin could operate really well out of the slot. Um, but so far the Steelers have primarily used him on the outside. Now I, I think maybe that's just a product of his speed. Um, you know, and that might be the main reason why, but, um, 
as of right now, Allen Robinson is the primary slot guy. Um, I think whenever they want to run three receiver sets and have either Deontay or George line up in the slot, that's the time to bring Calvin Austin in to have him be on the outside. If, if either Deontay or George are, are lined up in the slot for a play. Um, but that's just the main reason why Allen Robinson is getting way more snaps than Calvin Austin right now is because, you know, despite his deficiencies that he does have, you know, Allen Robinson at least knows how to find, uh, especially against defenses that run zone coverage predominantly. Um, he knows how to find soft spots in zone and that anytime you can give Kenny a, a wide open target almost every time that'll help. Uh, I like this question from Jerry, uh, 24 to 30 points should be enough to win any game, but it needs to be over four quarters. I'll take one though. Um, whatever results in a win, obviously, yeah. but I believe league average, and I'd have to go back and look at this is around 24 to 25 points. That I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling up the, the numbers right now. So as I'm trying I, to, but, but here's the thing about that. Jerry is the Steelers haven't scored 23, 24 points on a consistent basis. Yeah. And yet since the last year's bye week, they are 11 and four. It's in, in some odd fashion, they are 11 and four. Real quick, by the way, because Chris mentioned snap counts for offense. I want to mention snap counts for defense real quick. Now, the Steelers played 68 plays on defense. Minka played all of them. Pat P was only absent for one. But check this out. Joey Porter Jr., 53 out of 68 snaps. Levi Wallace, 49 out of 68. So mm-hmm. the Steelers are working in Joey Porter Jr. more. Mm-hmm. And aside from TJ Watt, Porter had the best coverage grade of any Steeler defender. I believe maybe a Landon Roberts was right, right near, or he might've just been just better than Porter, but mm-hmm. the snap counts for Joey Porter jr. Are going up. And I don't think it's any yeah. secret that aside from Puka Nakua, the Rams really couldn't get anything going on in their passing game. Yep. Yeah. Uh, just to let it, let everybody know 24 points a game right now would rank 11th in the NFL. 30 points a game would rank second. So okay. Um, 25 points a game would rank, uh, eighth. Okay. So if you kind of want to kind of get a barometer of how many points the Steelers should ideally need to score, uh, per game to have a really good shot of winning, uh, I would just aim for 25 a game, uh, 24 a game might be a good enough if, if the defense plays well enough, but you know, 25, 26 a game, but that's a, that's a tall order because I don't think this offense is really built to be able to score that much that often. Um, I'm mean, sure this is an offense and hasn't, you know, put up more than 400 or four, at least 400 yards in 54 games. Right. So that only scored, I think 30 points, I think once last year. So correct. Uh, Randy asks, uh, this is a, a journo biz yeah. question here, which I always am down to answer. Uh, Randy says, uh, Tomlin answered the way we wanted him to not concentrating beyond the next game. This is of course a question reflecting next Thursday, which the Steelers versus the Titans on Thursday night football. Um, So question was basically I'll paraphrase it about you have a Sunday game and then you have a Thursday game. How do you keep them focused on Sunday? And Mike Tomlin, as he does says, I'm only focused on Sunday and kind of shut the question down. And Randy asks, how does a journalist protect his pride by getting shut down? Sometimes you can't really have pride in these situations. No. <laughs> now, I don't think the question was a bad one to ask because there's legitimate, you know, you have two games within the span of four days or five days or whatever it is. You got to kind of flip the switch quickly. How do you not look ahead? How do you stay prepared for Sunday? 
So I understand it. Yeah, it goes into my room and hit my punching. I go punch a pillow. Darn, let me tell you what. If you go back and watch some of the Latrobe press conferences out in training camp, I got bodied quite a bit by Mike Tomlin. And so <laughs> Chris knows this. You take your lumps where you where you get them. They yeah. will happen. You, It's almost like a stand-up comedian ask, or, or trying to give a stand-up routine. Sometimes you will bomb. Sometimes the question you ask Mike Tomlin or whoever it is will bomb emphatically. And guess what you have to do? You have to just sit there and eat it and move yeah. on. Uh, I, it happens. It happens to everybody. It, it's it not does. just me. It's not just that reporter that asked the question today. It happens to legitimately everybody. I, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> don't take they're, it out on your blue They're jays. safe and sound. They're, you don't have to call <laughs> any uh, animal activists over here. They are safe and sound on it's, the wall. It's, uh, it, it really is something, and I think Corey can attest to this, and I know, you know DK can attest to this, and I can attest to this because – We've all covered multiple teams, some of us at the same time. Um, it really is a, kind of another thing is you really have to kind of learn your audience when you're asking questions. Yes. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, You can't ask questions um, the same way between Mike Tomlin as you do, you know, for you, Pat Narduzzi, or for me, <laughs> whenever I went and covered Pirates and I was asking Derek Shelton a question. Um it was just two entirely different types of conversations. Um, I've covered, I've covered, you know, certain coaches or managers. Um, I feel like I could ask any question at all in any way, any form whatsoever, and almost treat it as if we were like asking a buddy a question, like if we're sitting at a bar drinking, like Chris Woodward, whenever he was manager of the Rangers was like that. When I was on that beat, it was, he was just a very, he was a conversation type of guy. So yeah. you could ask conversation. You could ask questions as if you were just having a regular old conversation. Mike Tomlin's not like that whatsoever. You've got to find the right way to ask the questions because he is a maestro behind the podium. He will absolutely. Yeah. By the way, if I look really dark, I'm about to go turn on like some lights in my house because apparently we've got like a tornado or something hanging over the house that just darkened everything. So I'll be right back. You're turning into a weather reporter here. Oh my goodness. Chris is going to go turn a light on if he has power. He does have power or else he wouldn't be able to do this. Uh, Ryan asks, were you intimidated by Mike Tomlin the first time? I'll admit the first time Jeez. I got you good. Yeah. That was just crazy. Like, it was just like, it was like, like, cause I've got like, I've got a really big window open over there. got a window open over here. I, there's a lot of natural light that comes in my house, which is one of the things that I, I, yeah. I love about my house. But you know, when these Texas storms come through and stuff like that, and then anybody who's lived in Texas and understands what Texas storms are like, they're, they can look like, okay, I'm about to die. All right. I'm just huh. I'm about to, like, I, I'm, it was nice knowing everybody, you know, hope I lived a good life because I'm going to die. And then they last for 10 minutes and then they're over. But for those mm -hmm. 10 minutes, you, it it's like it, it, like my whole house got dark. You might be able to see it in the reflection of my glasses, but I do have a ring light on. There's, <laughs> yeah. a, there's a light. There's the actual overhead. I usually don't have to. I've never, yeah. for this entire time shooting the show, I have never had to use a light because I have so much natural light in my house. Because, you know, if you have enough natural light that, you know. Yeah. Right. All right. So. Back to this. And, no, uh, no, I do not well, want on. to imagine that. Well, hold on. Uh, where's the question at? Were, were you intimidated Sorry. by Mike Tomlin? Ryan asks. Now, I have a different approach of doing this, and, and I kind of approach every like new beat like this. 
I try not to go in guns a blazing, if that makes sense. So I'll admit, and Chris was there with me last year when I started sitting in on Tomlin press conferences and going to the locker room and everything. When you're new, the new kid on the beat, the new kid on the block, you have to kind of feel it out. You yeah. have to be able to read the room as um, Steelers Freak here says. You have to be able to read the room. You have to be able to know, is Mike Tomlin going to respond to this this way or is he going to respond to this that way? Mm -hmm. So I can't tell you the first question I ever asked Mike Tomlin because it it probably was several press conferences into me actually going there. Mm -hmm. And Chris obviously went through under something like this and maybe he found the perfect time to ask his first question to Mike Tomlin. And I couldn't tell you what my first question ever to Mike Tomlin was, mm -hmm. but I can tell you that in Latrobe on more than one occasion in training camp, I absolutely bombed on like three questions in a row. Happens. And uh, I got a, I got a pep talk, actual pep talk from a fellow reporter on the beat. That was like, it was a good question. You're fine. Just <laughs> stay with it. It's okay. Yeah. Cause it happens. It, you yeah. have to know your audience. You have to read the room. You have to yeah. be able to, Get a feel for it. I covered Jim Beheim. Okay. Hmm. Those that know college basketball know who Jim Beheim is. As cantankerous as it gets. And that is the perfect adjective for Jim Beheim. Cantankerous. Yeah. $5 word I just used right there. <laughs> if you don't come correct to Jim Beheim, it's off the rails. It's over for you. It's... You will get it on the spot. Yeah. And the thing is that Mike Tomlin will be a little different depending on his his like the setting that he's in as well um i can attest to this from being at the owners meetings you know he whenever we go to the owners meetings once a year uh which usually take place sometime in march um or i think at the end of march i don't know sometime between the, the combine and the draft um we we go there and you know there's only a handful of reporters that ever go um, and he sits down like at a, at a table, like at a restaurant at the, you know, whatever the, whatever the, um, resort or wherever the owner's meeting is going to be held at. And he kind of sits and it's like, it's a round table discussion type thing. Now this past year, he was still a little bit more, I'm Mike Tomlin behind the podium about it, but he wasn't nearly as what you see on Tuesdays when you're watching live right. as he was when he's sitting at that round table. So it's a, and I'm not, by the way, if you're talking about the round table that was aired on like NFL network or anything like that, that's not the round table I'm talking about. This thing was not filmed on video or anything like that. He does his own separate one with just the local reporters. Um, so it, it is, it is different depending on his setting. And so you kind of have to learn how to ask questions in certain, even, even depending on the type of setting you're in, because, if it's a formal press conference, you've got to ask questions a certain way. If it's more like, oh, I'm covering baseball and I'm meeting with in the manager's office or we're having a conversation pregame in the dugout, it's different than whenever he's sitting up on uh, behind a podium uh, after you know a win or a loss. You know, whenever he's doing his postgame press conference, it's just it's just different. It, it's you yeah. have to adapt to your to your set uh, surroundings and your settings. A couple other perfect examples on my end from Pitt. Pat Narduzzi every Thursday, he gives two press conferences a week. Imagine if Mike Tomlin did that. Pat Narduzzi gives two press conferences a week on record. One is the typical at the lectern on Mondays. Mm. And then every Thursday on the South side, he'll take what I, what is basically a round table. He'll sit in the middle of one of these big long conference tables 
and the reporters will be surrounding him and we'll just ask questions about the upcoming game or whatever it is. And that setting is usually more relaxed than the Monday buttoned up. We just got our butts kicked by Wake Forest or we just beat Louisville press conference. And then Jeff Capel covering Pitt basketball last year. Jeff Capel tends to take a stoic approach at these press conferences. Hmm. But once Pitt started winning, number one, and then number two, when Pitt got to the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament, you get to spend a little more time with these guys behind the scenes. And that's when I really got to know Jeff Capel a little bit more. Now, we didn't hang out or, you know, go out and have a good time around town or anything because they were still working. But like when you're behind the scenes and the locker rooms are open and you're seeing all the coaches and everything, you get to know them a little bit better. There was a time we were in Dayton and this was right before Pitt tipped off in the NCAA tournament. And Capel comes up to me. He's like, Corey, I'm like, what's up? He goes, I didn't know you were a Syracuse guy. Cause I graduated from there. And I'm like, yeah, you know, started talking about going there because he's a Duke guy. So rivals. And we started having a little rapport on that. And then I think, after that conversation and like getting to know each other a little bit more, things became more relaxed and maybe I got a little more leniency if I did ask him a dumb question Mm -hmm. after the fact. So yes, the, the reporter relationship with the coach or with whoever it is that's given the press conference or the interview um, that does come into play at some point as well. Um, For sure. All right. On a Tomlin Tuesday, Chris, good stuff today. A lot Mm -hmm. of really good topics. Yeah. uh, Peeling back the curtain, so to speak. Tomorrow, we will have player access on the south side for the first time this week. Uh, it should be a Kenny Wednesday, so Kenny Pickett should be usually uh, usually does talk on Wednesdays, rather. So we're expecting that. Uh, of course, the coordinators on Thursdays. Um, I will be either low quality or no quality, Corey, tomorrow on Thursday, <laughs> depending, on, depending on how nice the uh, south side internet wants to be to me. Friday is going to be Chris solo because I will be traveling uh, to South Bend, Indiana. We'll for, do it again for Pitt Notre Dame. Uh, so that's kind of how this week looks. Uh, but Chris and I will be back tomorrow, of course, as we are three to three thirty here. Well, Chris will be here. We'll see if I am. Uh, I will try to be here. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we will. We will. I think. I think last Thursday, for the most part, minus uh, minus the internet just having impeccable Ooh. timing and cutting off your your prediction right at the right time. Uh, I think, you know, if, if we, if we can get set up in the normal spot, I think we'd be all right for, uh, for Wednesday and Thursday. If it means that I start solo so that Corey has some extra time to get done when he needs to get done. That's fine too. We can, we can do that. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, so full transparency before we go, the Wednesday and Thursday situations are really difficult and we try to do it as best as we can because this, we tried to plan this show obviously before DK and Ramon go on air. Mm -hmm. Um, so with that said, that in mind, going at three o'clock made the most sense. And that was all determined before the Steelers put any sort of media schedules out for the season. Now, those go on a week to week basis. So we find out literally Sunday mm-hmm. if Monday locker room is going to be open and then what happens Wednesday through Friday. And at the time we just des- we decided the show's going to proceed Ramon and DK and everything's going to start at three o'clock. We didn't know that the Steelers locker room would be open from two to three o'clock <laughs> on the South side. Yeah. So with that said, the initial thought was, well, last year they went early. 
They tended to end by to, two. Yeah, I wanted to say I think I wanted to say locker room last year on the like the Wednesday and Thursday was like two fifteen to two forty five or something like that. So where right. I think we were kind of anticipating that, like okay, fifteen minutes is enough time, right? To you know, if there's okay, there's an emergency thing. Emergency thing needs to go out. Great, we can do that real quick and still go live at three o'clock. So. Right. So we've been trying to play with that. Obviously, with Kenny talking on Wednesdays, Cam Hayward being injured, he usually talks Thursdays. So he hasn't been doing that because he's on IR. Right. But once he gets back, that's obviously going to change. So we do the best we can with the circumstances we have. If the internet craps out on the south side, sometimes we can't help it. Quite honestly, it just kind of happens. Uh, Maybe I can start hotspotting or something like that. By the way, that seems to be an NFL issue, by the way. So another, another pull, you know, peel behind the curtain thing. Um, I've been in, I don't know, uh, I think now it would be double digit NFL stadiums. I don't know, but I've been in several double digit stadiums and, uh, yeah, the, the wifi usually sucks like in an NFL stadium, uh, in some stadiums, it's really, really bad. I remember <laughs> week one in Cincinnati last year, it was horrendous yeah. and they always tell you, you can't use your hotspot. It's like, well then give me internet that works. Um, because Try I covered college football in some of these cities, man. <laughs> um, so, so just funny. Cause it's like the NFL, which is the, the, I mean, brings in the most, uh, the most amount of money in the world. And it's not close has the, like some of the crappiest internet, or I don't know if it's the crappiest or not, but it's really terrible internet as compared to major league baseball, which granted is the second, you know, most, you know, highest grossing league in the world. I seldom ha- ever had an issue and I've covered definitely been in double digit num- a number of ballparks. Yeah. Seldom had issues with Wi-Fi and, and MLB Wi-Fi is usually top notch. Pirates you- pirates have a really good operation when it comes to the internet access. Press um, dining is a different story. Well, I like, I enjoyed it when you do partake in it. I do enjoy it. The Steelers the press dining Steelers press dining spot on just absolutely gorgeous um pirates press press dining dining is a little um for 14 dollars, i better get some better food and definitely other options than broccoli (laughs) every every meal don't hate on broccoli bro it's good i like broccoli but every meal it's like doesn't matter if it's barbecue or if it's pasta or if you whatever it is there's just always broccoli it's like they have some sort of deal (laughs) with a broccoli farmer or whatever and I'd love to hear your conspiracy theory about this at some different I don't point. Know, I will say man. this. The spread at Wake Forest when I was there Saturday, underrated facility, by the way. The only the only two knocks I had were, number one, there was no press conference room for Narduzzi, so we did it in the tunnel by the locker room. Yeah. You could imagine how that went. Number two, uh, we got kicked out an hour after media access ended. Imagine an NFL stadium doing that. Not good. Uh, so I had to go write my the rest of my story from my hotel, uh, which if you watch that pit game, it was quite a story to write. Chris and I are out of here. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow on a Wednesday. Uh, but for now, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for liking, subscribing, sharing. Tell a friend to tell a friend. goes a long way, as always. And uh, remember, if you didn't catch us live, we're available on playback on YouTube.com, uh, DK Pittsburgh Sports Steelers. And then, of course, where podcasts are found. So Apple uh, Google po- uh, Google Play and Spotify. He's Chris. I'm Corey. This has been the Southside Beat. DK and Ramon in about 20 minutes. As for us, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Cheers, everybody.